If you're a transportation provider, don't wait for Amazon to disrupt your business. Disrupt it yourself. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Times it seems as though Amazon.com will settle for nothing less than the world. Having dominated e-commerce, it's now making strides to take over at least some transportation services in support of that business. We hear of Amazon chartering planes, acquiring a freight forwarding license, buying trucks, becoming a trunky company itself. How much of this will actually pan out remains to be seen. But there's no question that Amazon is a threat to existing transportation and logistics services, at least those that don't take steps to change their own business models to fend off the Amazon challenge. Today I'm speaking with Timothy Leonard, Executive Vice President of Operations and Technology with TMW Systems. We'll discuss what smaller companies, especially those in the transportation sector, can do to protect themselves against incursions of Amazon into that channel. It has a lot to do with accessing the right data and forming new communities through which transportation providers, large and small, can band together and survive. And not just survive, but dominate and disrupt. So here is my conversation with Timothy Leonard. Timothy Leonard, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Amazon has been increasingly making incursions onto the territory of traditional transportation and logistics providers. I want to talk to you about that today and get your sense of the degree to which it's happening and how they might respond. What challenge is Amazon posing currently to these traditional transportation providers? Well, I think when you look at Amazon, um, they certainly have the logistical support by owning a lot of their own assets. Their visibility into looking at the entire supply chain from shipper-related information all the way to carrier base really does have a level of, of competitive advantages that a lot of the traditional carriers have not foreseen. And I think the opportunities to leverage uh, that entire supply chain has really opened up a lot of avenues of e-commerce type of capabilities in last mile capabilities that, that I also think that a lot of carriers don't really have, have a great understanding of. So Amazon really has put together a nice portfolio uh, that enables them to pro- provide the uniqueness of shipper-related visibility as well as carrier visibilities and, and try to collaborate and bring that together. The question of what they actually are doing. I mean, the most obvious aspect of their incursion in logistics was the construction of these gigantic fulfillment centers all around the world. Uh, now we've also heard that they've acquired a, a freight forwarding license for shipments from China. We know that they're involved in that last mile stuff with their own vehicles and the like. 
I, I don't know that they're starting their own trucking company per se, although there's been hints to that to that extent. What areas are they playing in and what are they staying out of? Do you get a sense of that? Yeah, I, I think the sense of what are they getting into is, is really, and just from my observations, uh, certainly it's just some things I've been looking at, is they're not necessarily physically getting into this mundane, old, traditional carrier-based capabilities. But what, what I believe they're doing is they're observing and watching what has successfully worked within long-haul transportation, within distribution. The freight transportation platforms traditionally go through that old movement of information point A to point B. And I think what Amazon has done is looked at that and they, they've kind of looked at an end state capability and they've leveraged, like you were just mentioning, some, some key aspects around the freight transportation designs. The thing that I believe that they, they want to ultimately get to is actually controlling the end state of the last mile so that as their e-commerce solution keeps going bigger and bigger, the backbone of the carrier components just become a, a small piece of that transport. It seems that they are going in the exact opposite direction of so many other companies over the years who decided that it was important for them to stick to what they considered to be their core competency of making product and turning it over to 3PLs or lead logistics providers, the stuff that they didn't want to do in-house anymore. Amazon has done quite the opposite, implying, of course, that they consider this to be a core competency, and maybe this is just a creation of e-commerce that you cannot – you cannot pass off that to somebody else because it's so important to your own brand. Is that why? I mean, that does seem to be a reversal from the traditional outsourcing trend we've seen everywhere else. No, I, I think you're spot on. I think when you look at it, it's the recognition of something in which they know that and to be a competitive from end to end, they've adopted it. They recognize the value point of it. However, things around the market disruption uh, capabilities around non-asset consolidations, for example, uh, or even multi-channel strategies that enable them to, to fundamentally look at warehouse locations, distribution of that last uh, dedicated mile itself. So I think all the routing, scheduling, they've embraced it versus try to fight against it. And then they've taken those components. And I think the key aspect of it is that, and once again, my opinion is, is that they're looking at the end state of the e-commerce and they're they're taking e-commerce as the solution problem and they're saying there's characteristics of the end solution problem in terms of getting things faster, quicker, anytime, anywhere delivery um, at the best rate, at the best cost and giving everybody that flexibility from working at home, working at the business, ordering products, ordering services, no, no matter where they're at. Those characteristics then funnel down into lower-level entities that say, I've got to know that I can move things, carrier-based type of freight opportunities. So I think, it's, to me, it's the recognition of that value proposition that has started making that thing so disruptive. And when they get into that, then they open up this whole concept of multi-channel strategies. And I think same-day local delivery uh, driver proliferation of regional areas, local warehousing disseminations. And so that that in, that endowment of recognition is, is supportive. Where does this leave traditional transportation providers? Should they be pushing back against Amazon, competing with Amazon, partnering with Amazon? What moves should they be making in response? I think the first thing that has to start is strategically it's the recognition that if, if they still keep with the old traditional strategies of that embedded relationships, contracts, RFP responses – 
that the, the likes of the Amazons, the people who embrace the different strategies, they're, they're truly going to change the adoptions of moving in because it's all about moving the freight at the cheapest cost, the best rate. If they don't adopt certain strategies within that, they will be consolidated. I think the consolidations that you've recently seen on certain major carriers, that's going to be competitive and competitive, or it's truly going to hurt I believe the overall community is the 50 trucks or less. That's where the adoption of a community-based small carrier structure is going to let them to, to be in a competitive. Everybody's going to have to change the strategies, not because of Amazon. It's because of the human characteristics of I need to be able to order anything whenever I want. It, I believe it's the e-commerce adoption where so many people, millenniums, believe in the abilities to order anywhere, anytime, any place in order to receive their packages, whatever materials that they're buying. Um, that's why you see retail getting out of, there's a lot of hurt in retail. People aren't going to the retails, the retails are coming to them. So if you don't adopt that recognitions for what I call competitive responses or war gaming scenarios, I, I think they're gonna be left out in the dark. Are you actually implying that this is the end of traditional contracted transportation? I think that you're going to see a, a decline in this over time. Will it completely end? I, I don't believe it will completely end. I think over time, next two, three, five, seven, ten years, you're going to see that type of capabilities declining ever more. And so will it go away completely? Probably not. Will it be a severe risk to certain strategic companies that have not complied with this new thinking? Absolutely. But you can't sign a long-term contract and then sit back and fold your hands and say, okay, well, that's done. Uh, we're good for a few years with this customer. It seems like you have to prove yourself on an absolute constant basis now. That's right. That's, that's the message I'm trying to get across to the carriers is, is that if you sit back on your heels, the 10 or 20 years ago when you won your two- to three-year contracts, that, that probably was an easy adoption. Technology is moving fast. Business is moving fast. So if you sit back on your heels and you're constantly not reinventing or proving that you're the best value for your customer, somebody else is going to come along and are going to take your business. Now, you have written about and others have also spoken about the so-called Uberization of freight. What does that term mean to you in the context of freight? Let me kind of back up a little. I haven't written on Uberization because I, I don't believe in the full threat of Uberization. I think it's overrated in a way that Uberization really has never proven themselves in the market. However, the fundamental principle that if you're not dynamically thinking about that last point of mile or that dissemination of information so everybody can consolidate and collaborate, my terminology is more in the community of information or the community capability where the community drives pricing or the community drives the rating structures. So that terminology is, is my more terminology. I, I really don't think that the concept of an Uber is a threat or a is a pro or a con. I just think it's been overrated and people are just using that as, as a quick buzzword versus truly stepping back and looking at the problem that they're trying to solve. Is it a, a problem that is disruptive? And more importantly, are there other ways of discovering a problem to solve it? And I think I think that's where TMW has come up with a really good fundamental principles around the true disruption of it. And I think the, the Uber wording is just an easy way to, to say that. Okay. Well, what is the true disruption? What is the nature of that as you see it? I think the true disruption is leveling the playing fields. 
I think when you disrupt what they have in transportation, as most people understand, in the trucking world, you, you've got a set of huge companies that are 4 to 5% of the market space. Then the rest of the market space is, is 90% of all these small players. The more that companies like Trimble, TMW, put out solutions that even and level the playing field, that's going to enable the concepts that people are referring to around Uberization to come into play. Without that, that, that concepts of fundamental collaborations, fundamental leveling the playing fields, tools, technology, data, that leveling the playing fields, that's what we need to drive for, for not only the sake of our business, but also for the sake of the small players in the industry. We have to look out for that community basis because certainly Amazon's not going to look out for them. Uh, that, that's what we have to go after. Certainly, whenever I hear that phrase, level the playing field, it always seems to mean how can the smaller entities compete with the big guys on the same terms. So earlier you said the biggest threat is to those companies with 50 trucks or fewer. You are saying then there's hope for them based on this there new is. approach and embracing of disruption? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, th I think if we recognize that the heart and soul of North America, particularly in the U.S., that the backbone itself was made on a lot of these small businesses, the opportunities to collaborate and bring them together as a community. The size of the community is bigger than the size of the one. So it's an old military analogy. I'd, I'd rather be in the community of the many versus the community of the one. Amazon represents the community of the one, where I believe the community represents the community of the true backbone of where we want to go. So if the community sits together, there's a, there's a recognition that you have to change your strategy. That enables them to truly run a business model that supports and moves, particularly the America e-commerce solution and doesn't depend on one big giant to be able to facilitate the driving of the e-commerce. It's interesting, is it, how that one big giant goes along for years and everybody just assumes that they are dominant and will be continue, continue to be so, and then one day <laughs> it's over for them. Uh, it seems to be a, that's, that's a right. regular pattern in business, and no matter how dominant they are, Amazon dominant today, not guaranteed tomorrow, right? That's correct. I, I think it's certainly... I have no hidden uh, assumptions or unreality that certainly Amazon's not going to play a component. They're hiring carrier-based individuals. You look at who they're hiring, they have tremendous experience in the carrier world, um, some, some pretty bright minds. But then again, I challenge that the good of the one does not outweigh the good of the many. And I think the good of the many is really what drives e-commerce type solutions. And when you stick to the good of the one, pricing, rate structures, things of those anomalies, they just go higher as time evolves. And I think if we don't level that playing field and keep this into a competitive nature, this is a responsibility, I believe, that we have to the business world. It's not just a responsibility to one individual, it's a responsibility to many. You spoke of the importance of visibility. And of course, this is something that Amazon does really well information. You always know where your stuff is. Others as well, like UPS and FedEx, are very good at keeping you apprised of how, where your shipment is and when it's going to arrive. But I wonder if you feel that as a whole, today's traditional transportation providers truly realize the importance of information along with the handling of the actual physical freight. Yeah, and I actually would challenge that is where the small carriers have a competitive advantage as a data science and as uh, currently at a, a very large data summit. I get to see 
versus what people are telling you in blogs and in papers. And I, and I can tell you that the data world is being recognized a lot by smaller carriers. They're seeing the value proposition. What I also would challenge is because of the lack of that full intel intelligence around transportation ecosystem, companies like ATMW truly have put together wide table analytics. Amazon's not even thinking about some of those concepts. So those concepts the big data concept, for example, is not the innovation around that. It's the abilities to solve unique, distinctive problems like wide table analytics that help small carriers use low cost end products like Power BI to attach to their data. And for less than $9 a month, they can make the same type of a decision as an Amazon can spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on huge BI platforms. But here's the dynamics. It's the data dexterity of the recognition of, of making a change within hours versus the big cog of the engine has to make change over weeks. That's what's going to save the small carrier. Can they quickly make a change, adapt to it, overcome it, and then less than a day or two, take that same data that the same big carrier is getting and, and finally, and I do that. It, it reminds me of a story of Starbucks versus local coffee shop. The local coffee shop can clearly make different types of roasting beans, different types of capabilities. But the big Starbucks, they have to burn the same beans. They have to make, order from the same style. The same coffee taste in New York, New York has to taste the same way in L.A. The unique coffee store can make a change, particularly in their region and area, and because they can invent things quicker, they can sample things new. Well, it's the same fundamental principles around transportation. How quickly can I react to the same data and how can I make the changes for my small business to be at a competitive advantage? So not only at them, but the community itself acts in the same way. Okay, so the little guy, there's hope for. That's the little animal scurrying around at the feet of the giant dinosaurs, say, and maybe they're the ones that are going to survive. But that also raises the question, though, of the ability of the big carriers, the big traditional carriers to survive. They're less agile. They're more resistant by their very nature to change. Is there hope for them? And what must they do in order to embrace think, disruption? Yeah. I think that's going to be the biggest challenge. I think being part of a big carrier at one time in my life if you had shown me some of the strategies of the RFPs responding, um, you know, they, they were very, very successful. I think over the next, um, I'm not talking about today's world, but even in the next six to 12 months, the consolidation you saw recently of a big carrier consolidation that had occurred or is occurring, I think that world is going to get even smaller. And those carriers are becoming big carriers. I'm going to call them super carriers. That was my hypothesis of the future of carrier-based trucking companies. I think what's going to end up is super carriers or super carriers that have strategic alliances. So there's no more going to be big carriers. It's going to be called super carriers. And the super carriers are going to have that same size volume movement as, a, as an Amazon. And so you're going to have what I see as an Amazon's, as a Walmart, a super carrier relationship, and then the community of data. So fundamentally, you have about nine big domains of companies. And then that's kind of where things are kind of formulating into this the, uh, consolidation environment. If you'll permit me to raise this to kind of a philosophical level, I, I want to talk with you about the whole idea of disruption and whether you really do truly believe that a company can commit to disruption within one's own business on a constant basis. Is that actually possible? 
I think it can. It's all in the passion of what you're you're going to strive for. The whole thing uh, tw- 100 years ago where somebody with a high school degree could come out and change the world was at a certain percentage. Well, look at the market today. If you take the same thing with somebody with a high school degree, it's pretty rare. Now you'll have the onesies and twosies, but I think it's the same thing within the carriers. As we go evolve and, and get consolidated and, and get standardized around this community, you got to remember transportation is still a relative young industry. We're not talking 200 years, 300 years within the carrier-based big companies. We're talking about decades in which they've existed. So as you go along, disruption is going to become a passion. I think if if individuals or companies see passionate items that have the strategy, the know-how, the relationships and the mechanics to get it done, those are the ones that are truly going to do that. But the key word for me that I look for is is the passion in order to know that you want to go make a change. And I think that's where it's going to, going to fundamentally go to. I guess then you would not agree with the idea that there are certain companies for which there simply is a lifespan. No matter how hard they try to survive, they will be eclipsed by others who came along with a different business model. That they would be would have been possible for Blockbuster to survive. It would have been possible for Yellow Cab to survive had they only seen the writing on the wall and acted earlier. That seems to be your implication. It is exactly that. I think we are given an opportunity at some points, but whether you're the MCIs of the world or the Enrons of the world or some of the ones that you had just mentioned, there were indicators that were all along the way that, that could have been reacted to. And I, I think when you look at Novell or even some of the um, old traditional networking companies that have gone out of business that were the giants of the world at the time uh, in telecommunications and, and, and of course, the, the adoption and, and the, the flexibilities to dynamically change and mature with the environment were not recognized. But the pieces, they may have been told, may actually have been even recognized, but physical, but did they execute on the opportunities that enable them to not survive? And that's the key word. I think people keep using words, well, we got to survive. You don't have to survive. You need to overcome and be the successor. So if you don't have that mindset of a successor or a conqueror, and you're going back into a passive survival mode, those I believe are still, even though they may say they have a strategy, they still will not survive. Well, that is one heck of an inspiring message. (laughs) Thank you so much, Timothy Leonard Mm -hmm. of TMW Systems, for sharing your views and philosophy on disruption and whether traditional transportation Mm -hmm. providers, large and small, can meet the challenge of Amazon. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you very much for having me. That was my conversation with Timothy Leonard of TMW Systems, talking about how transportation providers can meet the competitive challenge of Amazon.com. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming and downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.